Picture this. You're living in a country torn apart by political factions, a government in such disarray that it's been 30 days since the office of the president was even occupied. Government workers aren't getting paid. Food stamp programs are grinding to a halt. TSA agents are dropping like flies. And the two things that have been dominating your Facebook page are memes about Sandra Bullock and people fighting over a commercial you probably haven't seen. Does this sound anything like your world? If so, then you may be looking for answers, a quest which has brought you here. Do we have them? Who knows? But you can sure count on us to talk about it. Welcome to Free Range Waffles, Episode 3, a podcast where we talk about things. I'm Jeff, and I will be curating today. Allow me to introduce CJ. Oh, hello. And Billy. Oh, hey there. Guys, we're here to talk about things today. So let's set up an agenda before we, before we get carried away and catch up with each other. What do we want to talk about today, Billy? Okay, I'm bringing to the table today. I'm bringing, um, I just started uh, Habits of the Mind by James W. Sire. So I want to get started a little bit today on the topic of intellectualism. Okay. CJ, what do you want to talk about? Hold on, let me Google intellectualism real quick. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, have a definition at hand uh, later. Today, I want to talk about um, a couple of current events, some things that I find interesting. Um, actually, you kind of stole my thunder a little bit with your intro there, but uh, I, I really like I really liked it, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna complain. Uh, nice. I have a few current events I'd like to discuss, and um, I won't reveal those currently. Got it. <laughs> no spoilers. It's a spoiler-free zone. Um, well, I think we, we, I I guess we should, we should, Bird Box is kind of, it's, the moment's gone. We should have talked about it last week. Yeah, Um, CJ would have watched it. Hey, I'm sorry. You didn't watch it, CJ? Um, okay, here's the deal. So, I didn't watch it, but I have read three different reviews on it, and I've watched a YouTube video explaining it. Snow's got an opinion. Right. I feel like that's what Were people like say. Terrified weren't watching it at like four points during the movie. What was that? I asked if he was terrified and like wished he wasn't watching it at any point during the movie. Got um, Because if yeah. you miss that, if you you really really the YouTube, I mean, you did the feel YouTube that way? video during the YouTube video, I had this moment of fear. I was like, I really <laughs> don't want to watch this movie, and then I was like, Oh wait, I'm not watching it. I think I stay that way. <laughs> oh, gosh. Wow. Um, yeah. I'm just, I'm actually grateful that you didn't watch the movie because if you were traumatized by someone else's review of it, then I, I can't imagine what the movie would do to you. Yeah. Well, he's going to be traumatized by our review. Yeah. I mean, our um, review's Billy, gonna... Billy, you watched it. I watched it. What do you think? Um... <sighs> The only thing I really had to compare it to was uh, A Quiet Place. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that those are the only two movies in that category. Yeah. Which I was glad to find out Bird Box was actually written prior to the conception of Quiet Place. Yeah, for sure. Not a a copycat. Yeah, I looked that up too. Wait, so does that mean A Quiet Place was a copycat? It just came out first? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the script for A Quiet Place was written several years ago as well. Um, but the, by its original the book, author, I don't, I don't even know when. Yeah, it was early two thousands, I think. But yeah, um, so technically, if one came before the other, then then Bird Box came first. But I don't mm. think anyone read that book. Hmm. Anyway, no, it was actually it was twenty fourteen. So oh, fourteen. Never mind. Yeah, I don't know what to think. Who knows? But what did you think of it? Um, absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So A Quiet Place was, it was scary, but you, all you had to do was be quiet. Right. You know, you still had all your senses. Right. Um, And it dealt with the sense of hearing, which is scary, Mm -hmm. kind of, but there's no control. You know, with this, you lose a sense of hearing, you still have control over everything else. So, Unless you're Daredevil, you've got everything else going for you. Right. 
and not only better than hearing. So in this case, like the loss of vision inhibits the use of every other sense. Right. It increases the stress of the viewer for sure. Oh my gosh. Oh, it was, it was like just, man, it really got to me, you know, (laughs) Um, really got to Catherine too. The creatures like using the other people. That that's um, actually what I wanted to talk about, and I feel like CJ needed to see it to really get the impact of that. But whatever. Well, so I have I've seen a few of the clips, like I've, I've seen yeah. scenes of it, some of those scenes, um, and that is actually why I didn't watch it. <laughs> it just, okay. I'm yeah. sorry, I just I don't like scary movies like that. I, I, um, a Quiet Place was was like kind of a stretch for me i mean i liked it it wasn't that scary it was mm-hmm. because it was more um more like a an alien right like, right good yeah. guys fight yeah. bad guy alien you know but i actually found the con- i mean for me it was just the concept i didn't actually watch it but the concept of having a um a bad guy or a, you know a monster that you can't see that that's what was terrifying to me yeah yeah um, and it is terrifying. And honestly, the thing that I thought made Bird Box scarier than A Quiet Place, because I think of the two, Quiet Place was my favorite. And mm. I'm using that yeah. to say, like, which one would I watch again? A Quiet Place. Yeah. I watch it again. Because I think it's... Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it was the suicide for me. Yeah, yeah. It was the suicide, which was the first thing that really mes- made it, you know, really disturbing was that it wasn't yeah. a monster that hunted and killed you. It was a right. monster yeah. that made you want to kill yourself. And that was what uh, made it so upsetting yeah. visually because you're watching it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But they, they definitely took it to the next level uh, by having some people, instead of b- being affected by it, by killing themselves they were affected by it by basically going under its control, wanting mm-hmm. to kill other people. That was what freaked me out the most. Mm-hmm. Um, the suicide was super traumatizing, but even that was, I mean, in, you know, in quiet place standards, there is a way to survive, you know, like you can just stay in your house right. and you're fine. Cause what we know about the creature is that it can't touch you. Mm-hmm. Um, the creature, the creature can't, can't get into your house. For whatever reason, whatever whatever it is, <laughs> yeah, it can't get into your house. Um, and but then adding those other people that were that you couldn't tell who was who, you know, people who mm-hmm. who yeah. could pretend that they were that's, that they were on your side. Oh yeah, it wasn't that's, like it wasn't like the dudes in the cars with the guns, you know. That was like whatever. But the dudes, yeah. the snake guys, and the whole birth scene, and then yeah. the dude. Yeah, that was uh, too much. Yep. Mm-mm. Catherine had to ride the um, bus the other day, like right after we watched oh the movie. Gosh. She rode the bus, and I think she, like, she had a legitimate anxiety attack because of that movie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so we were like, I, no, I, 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 we made a pact that we wouldn't watch another scary movie for the rest of the year. And I should clarify that this was on the 3rd of January. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm good too. I was like, I'm, I'm like, literally five minutes after starting the movie, I regretted having chosen to watch that movie. <laughs> you yeah. Stop. yeah, you have to finish. It's, like, it's already in my head. Mm-hmm. I had already read the review and knew they made it to a happy ending. I was like, I've got to just get through this. Yeah. So my, my critique of the movie, um, other than the fact that it was, you know, scary as crap, um, <clears throat> that, that's not really a critique. That was like, oh, you did the thing you were trying to do. Good job. The thing that made it, uh, the thing that I have to to criticize it for in comparison to Quiet Place, because like we said, that's kind of the only thing we can compare it to, um, was that there were too many open ends on that story. Um, a Quiet Place, I think the reason that it got so much praise, or at least the reason I loved it so much, was because it was such an airtight story. Because we don't know a lot. We don't even know the names of the characters. But we also don't need to, we, to to understand exactly what's going on. It's people who know that the only way to survive this creature is not to make any sounds. And if you do make sounds, the creature finds and kills you. And that's the, that's the whole rule. Like, it's a super simple rule that's just impossible to do. 
Um, but I think Bird Box left so many questions, at least in my mind, about the creature and about, about what it was capable of, about what it did to people, about what it didn't do to some people. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the mechanics of it seemed a lot sloppier um, to me because we don't, I mean, we, we never really get any of those answers. And that's, I mean, it's not really what it was trying to do. It wasn't trying to, to give us answers, but it just felt a little bit, um, I don't know, it felt like it lacked something when, by the time I got to the end. That would have helped me connect to it a little more, maybe. What do you think? I I don't know. I sort of disagree because I think that was, I think that's the, I don't want to say beauty of the movie because I don't think anything about the movie was beautiful. <laughs> but I think, I think that was sort of the, you know, the whole, what brought the movie together was they weren't trying to explain anything. Right. And that's what put it in my books into horror instead of suspense. Got it. I put a quiet place as a sort of suspense. And because really they were there was a there was sort of a like an understanding of who the creatures were. And this it's like more this this they didn't care if you knew. Um and the same with the book. Like you know, they didn't care if you knew. Right. Um but the idea my understanding of the book as well, the idea is they're just trying to scare you, <laughs> you know, they're just trying to show you about the characters and how scared everyone in the whole world is, as opposed to like, actual development in the story. Right. Um, and then, you know, like, honestly, this story didn't have a conclusion either. Like all those people at the end, they're, I mean, inevitably they're all going to die someday. So. True. I mean, yeah. And I guess that is a huge difference between the two. Cause at the end of a quiet place, we mm-hmm. find out that, that, um, the the dad's sacrifice is right. is uh, kind of redeemed by the fact that we now know how to fight back. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. in a, in the end of a bird box, we're like, all right, well, this will only last like a week, you know, <laughs> like right. mm-hmm. we're all probably still going to die, and right? Yeah, because and, yeah, and so it was a super different ending. Um, it, it, yeah, which definitely, I mean, it didn't didn't seem to to resolve much, but I guess that was the point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, again, I haven't. I didn't see the full ending, but um, from what I did see, it seemed like it wasn't a satisfying end because it, like you said, the bad guy wasn't beat. You know, like it was just they just found safety, right? Is that yeah? Kinda, they just I mean, didn't die. <laughs> they just didn't die, but but there's no sense of like, okay, well, but what happens next month? You know, like we've seen how how this type of stuff goes like oh we found safety and then all of a sudden somebody leaves the confines of safety and then brings the bad guy back it's like yeah there's a sequel um so it doesn't really give you a sense of relief but i think it's just a maybe a non-traditional ending and maybe that's why it felt kind of weird yeah i mean the big question that i was left with and this is just because i wanted to solve the problem of bird box was (laughs) um so you can't see, and this is where I think it gets fun. You can't look at the creature even on a on a recording, which to me meant right away mirrors are out. You can't you can't Medusa it. Mm-hmm. Um, it can still get you. But my question is the, the the what we saw was that they could it was okay for them to see through cloth, which is not complete blindness. It's just limited, distorted vision. So they there's like a limit to how much light. They can they can have visually, oh. and, and because they, because they're using cloth blindfolds, right? Mm-hmm. So they can still, to some degree, see the movement of light through the blindfold, which means that there there has to be like what's what's the saturation limit, you know, before you can see it. Which made my question: mm-hmm. Can we go out on dark nights? Uh. Interesting. And, and I don't have a satisfactory answer, and neither does anyone else so far. But I just thought that there was, <laughs> that was the question that I had. I mean, who's going to test the theory in this story? <laughs> yeah. um, I think the answer is no, because of <laughs> what the bad guy otherwise. is. <laughs> I am not going outside. Yeah, but I mean, just wait until there's no moon. Once there's no electricity, can you move around at night? Because if you can't... Mm physically see it then can it hurt you you know i don't know mm-hmm. but that's what i thought was very that's all the questions i was left with um i also 
was um, one of the things I thought was very interesting about it. Um, I was talking to Aaron um, about how horror movies are very often metaphorical for our own struggles. Mm. Um, There's another horror series on Netflix called The Haunting of Hill House which I have heard is probably the scariest thing anyone's ever seen. And so I haven't watched it because Bird Box was more than enough for me. <laughs> and nothing is worse than watching horror movies alone, as Billy could probably attest to now. Um, but the idea is that there are like five children in this story who are being haunted in this house. But each of the children are actually representations of one of the five stages of grief. And so, hmm. uh, but we were kind of tracing that same concept through all sorts of different horror movies. One of the famous ones is the, what's it called? The, the Babadook, I think it's called. And that's kind of the, it's, it's less about a person fighting a monster and more about a person facing a struggle that's very real in their own life. In A Quiet Place, it was a metaphor for, um, for, family for living in this really traumatized situation and for raising a girl with uh with a disability and it was that kind of consistent it's always people who are already in hard positions Mm -hmm. who are then forced to face stupid monsters it's never people who are like happy and just enjoying life you know Mm -hmm. it's it's never people who are just cool with stuff (laughs) yeah who i mean Maybe it is at first, but then those people all die within like 45 seconds. <laughs> um, another good example is the movie Split, which I don't know if you guys saw. Mm-hmm. Did either of you no. see it? No. Mm-hmm. That one, it's this, this creepy, the, the character has multiple personalities. You're probably familiar with it. Um, but the, the girl who survives that story, who survives her encounter with the beast, is what this guy's... Uh, this guy's kind of uh, terrifying personality is called um, because she's already experienced like tragic um, injury in her life. Like she's already been abused and she's endured all these things. And at the end, when the beast finally catches her, it lets her live because it's the only person that the beast has ever met that he empathized with as someone who himself had been deeply hurt in the past. So it's a really unique, weird, I mean, horrifying story. But we were just kind of comparing notes uh, about Bird Box, kind of taking that forward and how if that's the case and these horror movies are largely metaphorical, then Bird Box is about this woman's fear of being a mom. This person who feels isolated from everyone else is now in a situation where she can't even like open her eyes. You know, it's like the ultimate isolation. Mm -hmm. And she has to raise not one, but but two children through it. which I just thought was really interesting. It adds a, a layer of depth to these otherwise kind of pointlessly terrifying movies that um, may be why people continue to watch them. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually, one of, the, one of the reviews I read was kind of talking about that too, of how like her, her, she kind of had this fear of being alone and then she had to deal with isolation. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Okay. That's kind of harsh. Yeah. But yeah, which just adds to the scariness. Cause I think a lot of people struggle with that. A lot of people have a fear of being alone. Yeah. And um, I'm not really convinced that even at the end of the movie that she's like a decent person. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like we're, we get like five years of character growth. And at the end of the five years, I'm still like, yeah, but you're kind of a really bad mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's better because she finally gave them names. She, well, I mean, <laughs> that's true. I have, pressure. <laughs> I, have, I have a theory about that as well, um, my, which I'll, I'll say before we move on, because we probably should stop talking about Bird Box. Um, my theory about why she calls them boy and girl is because consistently throughout the movie, Billy, I don't expect CJ to know this, right. when, when the you creature is, in, is around her, it calls out to her by name. It uses her name, Mallory, and it like calls out to her. I think that's the reason why she didn't name her kids. I think that actually was a, a move that she made for them on their behalf so that this creature mm. couldn't call out to them by name mm. or, or taunt them to, to mm. take off that their, their blindfolds. That was my theory. I haven't seen anyone else really talk about it yet, but I haven't checked that hard. I, haven't, you know, I, I watched the movie, so unlike CJ, I, 
didn't have to like go hunt down other sources. Yeah, but she calls him boy and girl, right? Yeah. So is mm-hmm. that the name? I mean, it is a name. Yeah, but... It's not a personal name, and you never see the creatures reach out to them by a name. It's it true. doesn't. Ever... It doesn't say, "Hey, boy, girl, take off your blindfold." It, just, it actually it mimics their mom, Mallory. True. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's we'll true. move on. Um, before we move on, Jeff, back to your other theory. Yeah. Um, I did jump onto a subreddit, a Ooh. horror subreddit. Um, and um, Hizzy um, Bortle, he asks, why didn't they just go out at night in Bird Box? There would probably be no artificial light to shine on these creatures. A moonless night would lar- likely be dark enough. That, is that sort of your position? It is, indeed. I, I would, I mean... I think I would agree with you, but just looking at the comments, you're like, like I think we're wrong. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Ezra responded, you're an idiot. <laughs> wow. You're an idiot. A heart signature was enough to kill the Asian guy. This would 100% kill you. They should have just used walking stick. <laughs> so, I mean, um, the walking sticks aren't a terrible idea. But heart signature is not what killed him. He was looking at he was looking at uh, know, security footage. So who's the idiot now? R slash whatever his name is. <laughs> All right, we'll move that on. That sounds like a that sounds like a successful Reddit argument. You're an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and followed by this has to be a troll. Yeah. Nice. Another leading uh, theory is that they just infect your eyes. I, I mean, sure. It's whatever. That's fair. It's whatever. Again, people uh, creatures. Because this room I'm in, I've never sat in at this what? time of night when the, the heaters kick on. And so everything crackles around me. Like, I, I don't know. I'm over it. Let's move on from the genre before it really creeps me out. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Billy, let's talk about uh, habits of the mind. Okay, yeah, habits of the mind. Um, okay, so I'm not that far into the book. Uh, disclaimer. Um, but so far, um, Sire is making the case that, well, it's the subtitle of this book, Intellectual Life as a Christian Calling. Um, so, general idea that he's making the case for that Christians are called to be intellectuals. And he starts by uh, hashing out the baggage we have with the word intellectual. So to start with, um, how do you guys feel about the word intellectual? The word intellectual or the word intellectualism? Intellectual, like, like to be called an intellectual or someone who is called an intellectual. What do you think of? I usually CJ, just you think, go ahead. I usually just think they're smart. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess I would I guess I would like to be called an intellectual. Um I feel like there's levels to that though. Like I guess um um well, I, you're probably going to break that down more, but I I do think um uh, I would like to be called an intellectual. Um and I think it just to me is a sin, is almost just synonymous with being very smart or being able to think well. I think it probably also has a connotation of, of, of knowledge, though, not just an ability to learn, but also a, a, a vast kind of uh, collection of knowledge already. He, someone yeah. who's well-read or, like, who understands things well. Right. Right, yeah. Somebody, somebody, I mean, I guess that's what I mean by very smart. Like, somebody who has a lot of knowledge and, and potentially would have the ability to learn more, uh, yeah. but can also just think through processes well yeah i would agree with that i think it also carries with it a little bit of um let me give you an example when i say that i think it has something to do with kind of standards someone who's like oh they're an intellectual mm-hmm. they they have some standards uh for instance Catherine has a coworker named kenny who listens to podcasts all day every day is he listening um, to this one uh well Catherine. Catherine asked oh i should tell kenny about your podcast. And I said, well, what kind of podcasts does Kenny listen to? And she said, well, he's typically really intellectual. And I said, then don't listen to our podcast yet. 
because episode three isn't out yet, and that's going to be where stuff gets real. All right. Um, that's what I told her. <laughs> well, well, then let me just take this opportunity to welcome Kenny. Kenny, <laughs> welcome, welcome Kenny. to the show. Welcome to the show. <laughs> um, so I think intellectual, yeah, I mean, I think that I agree with CJ. I think it's someone who has, um, who has learned a lot, someone who is eager to learn, someone who has high standards, and um, potentially isn't, isn't as much fun to be around as other people. <laughs> yeah okay yeah okay so now we're getting somewhere yeah were you looking for uh, someone kind of like an inaccessible person well so he just like throughout his first his first chapter was on this subject of like the just the language and like how we perceive that and so he just like threw different quotes of different people writing on this subject and their definitions of them and they were just they were funny and because i think like we at least for myself if i think intellectual okay i'll read you a quote and then you'll see what i'm talking about okay so uh lewis bromfield in his writing the triumph of the egghead wow (laughs) right so that an intellectual is quote fundamentally superficial over emotional and feminine in reaction to any problem supercilious and surfeited with conceit and contempt for the experience of more sound and stable men essentially confused in thought and immersed in a mixture of sentimentality and violent evangelism subject to the old philosophical morality of Nietzsche with frequently which frequently leads him into jail or disgrace a self-conscious prig so given to examining all sides of a question that it becomes thoroughly um, idle while remaining always in the same spot so there you have it wow um read me that part about what he said about feminine again because that might have to come up again later when we get to the to the gillette commercial (laughs) uh over emotional and feminine in reaction to any problem wow over emotional so that's interesting though because i feel like that is almost a little bit contradictory to what he's saying Maybe I'm misunderstanding. So he says that he like you're overthinking it too much to the point where you can't show emotion and you and you also can't move forward. You're overthinking the question to the point where you just stand still and you're just a fool, essentially. Mm-hmm. Right? Isn't that that's kind of what he's saying? But how does that fit into like feminine and emotional? That will fit into the Gillette conversation, I suppose. Yeah, that only only really works if you're really really misogynistic. Looks like Lewis Bromfield is a self-righteous prig after all. <laughs> I was I was thinking after you read the title, The Triumph of the Egghead, I was like, well, he <laughs> he may or may not have something worthwhile to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Who was he? Do, do you have any more information on him? Like, do we get some background? I don't think I have anything on him. Okay, because he took a whole lot of words to say that people who overthink things are a waste. Yeah, I, I think that was sort of the irony of most of these quotes. Yeah, that's um, interesting. There's one from someone really, like a famous intellectual in my book, and I couldn't find it, but um, it was, you know, just like sort of funny. Like they were like, I do not want to be known as an intellectual, you know? And so apparently you guys don't have any baggage with this, but um, <laughs> I don't know, like I, I sort of would pin intellectualism as like a sarcastic remark on someone who thought they were a lot smarter than they were. That's fair. I think, I think as far as the, I guess I have a different connotation for the word intellectual as I do intellectualism. And I don't know if I should, but I think, I think I have a, probably a much more dismissive um, a, like response to the word, to the intellectualism, I think is kind of a thing where I, I, w- I don't take it seriously as an, as an ism. I don't think yeah. it deserves its own ism. <laughs> so to speak, but um, I don't know. I, I guess I kind of approach those two words differently because I, I respect so many people who are who are intellectuals, intellectuals but I right. I don't off the top of my head respect many people who <laughs> were intellectualists. You know, <laughs> pursuit of thought mm-hmm. as as the highest virtue. I don't think that there's much there, mm-hmm. um, and maybe that's what they're referring to when they're talking about intellectuals. So I know, I mean, I know, like, if you look back at, um, 
like the ancient Greek um, philosophers. Um, I think, if I remember correctly, Socrates talked a little bit about intellectualism. Um, they they all talked a little yeah, bit about it. <laughs> but I think he also, um, I, I probably I should know this, but I'm pretty sure it was Socrates who kind of um, shaped a lot of the Stoicism um, um, idea. Um, I could be wrong about that. It was one of the, it was it was some of those people. Um, it was definitely some of those people. I'll but look, I mean, I'm looking at. I think intellectualism fits closely with that stoicism. <laughs> There's a lot of isms, um, but I think uh, I I looked up like a definition of intellectualism, um, and it from the ancient moral intellectualism. Um, this is that uh, intellectualism allows that, quote, one will do what is right or best just as soon as one truly understands what is right or best. So essentially, the, like, the intellectualism is kind of your, your moral compass is basically in you. It's your own intellect. Right. It's, that's, what, that's what's right or wrong. It's your own understanding. So then there really is no true right or wrong unless you find somebody who agrees with you. I mean, I, to me, I'm kind of filling that part in myself, but that, that I remember looking a little bit into intellectualism when I was kind of doing a brief study of stoicism. Um, and I thought, and I, I think that was kind of the main point is it, it's the ism part of it. Is, it's a, it's kind of almost a religion. It's a way of thinking um, a way of finding value in something or equating value to something, but it's based on your own understanding rather than somebody else's statements or uh, a cultural norm or something like yeah. that. What is that background sound? I just need to cut in real quick. Is anyone else hearing that? Yeah. Sounds like someone's really aggressively, aggressively playing pool or like taking uh, apart a palette or something. Probably turning pages. Wow. Wow. Why do you turn pages so hard? I think it's just the proximity of the microphone. I don't. I wouldn't take it too personal. <laughs> I okay. I'll try. <laughs> so I don't. I think that might be where the ism comes from, and I think we're actually thinking about it in in a slightly different way than that. At least yeah, I know. I, I should say I am thinking of it differently than that. Um. But I, but I guess it's, that is kind of what intellectual intellectualism is. Yes, but that's, to be that's a, true. But to be an intellectual now, I think mostly just means you're kind of a scholarly type. Um, you you know you think through things. However, I do the the point that um, um, the author of that of Billy's book. Um, the point that he made about somebody who's looking at the at the question too much and can't move forward, I think that part definitely fits what uh, I, um, a lot of people that I would that I know that I would term intellectual. Um, they often tend to do that, like they'll just overanalyze, overanalyze. It's all in their head. Yeah, which, which would, sometimes means that they don't ever move forward. I would like mm. to hear that particular author's version of what he thinks people should be like yeah um the one that was quoted the one that was quoted i the, yeah. the yeah. egghead guy yeah Bromfield. mr egghead um i feel like we've talked about this for a long time though cj and we're trying to just define it billy what was what was what was the next part of what you're going to say now that we've failed to define it we've looked at it Whoa. from so many angles that we've moved nowhere <laughs> so <laughs> wow, you intellectuals. Um, so Sire gives his definition, and it's pretty long-winded, um, but it's essentially just like a whole bunch of prepositions referring to nouns. So, like, the idea everything? of picking apart and looking at an idea from any perspective. Like, an intellectual is someone who's able to uh, or it's one who loves ideas, is dedicated to clarifying them, developing them, criticizing them, turning them over and over, seeing their implications, stacking them on top of each other, et cetera, et cetera. Um, with their terminology. That's a good one. Um, 
And so he goes like on and on with his definition, but he examines the definition of an intellectual through the life of John Henry Newman, who was an early 1800s to 19th century um, intellectual, for lack of a better word, intellectual theologian. And um, he pointed out like through his life, I guess like the major point so far has been the idea of um, what he called the illative sense, which is, it's, it's the conclusion of the, an intellectual drive for perfection. So the, the illative sense is when you can, it's the power of judging and concluding when in its perfection. So it's when your conscience is essentially like, in a practical sense, it's when your conscience is dictating something as truth and what it's dictating as truth is really truth. It's objective truth. Mm -hmm. Subjective mind is aligned with objective truth. And that's what he calls the illative sense. And it's sort of like the, the climax of intellectualism, the whole idea of intellectualism. Um, so, um, can you define, can you define illative? Or I can, I can look it up, I guess. I don't, yeah, he just like, his definition is like the power of judging and concluding when in action. It's, so I just looked, I just Googled it. Illative is an adjective referring to of the nature of or stating an inference. So it's a, it's a, you said the, the illative, what'd you say? Illative sense. sense. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a sense of, of, I guess, inference. That's an interesting word choice. I want to know why he says that that way. Mm -hmm. Anyway, hmm. interesting. Yeah, so, I thought that was pretty interesting. So, um, and the, 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 sorry, CJ, so, the illative sense brings it contributes to what he calls certitude, and certitude is sort of that climax. So, the illative sense isn't actually a climax of it's uh it's certitude. It's when you're certain of a truth, and that truth truth is actually true. interesting so let's exercise our uh <clears throat> our intellectualism <laughs> and discuss this gillette commercial great okay. let's talk about gillette uh did everyone watch this yes cj it didn't scare you too bad did it okay um i i wrote down kind of an outline to kind of direct our conversation which is um, probably ideal because it's already really long. Um, so, Whatever. you guys all saw it. Um, what do you? What are your initial thoughts, uh, CJ? Um, so my initial thought after watching it was like, "Wow, that was pretty good." I'm kind of surprised that Gillette did that. Okay. Um, I I actually at first I thought. Um, that I mean, I, I actually like agreed with it. I thought it was really good. Um, that they are basically calling men to be men to be better. Um, and then immediately after that, it was like watching the. I think I watched the commercial, and I think it was like one of the related YouTube videos about like somebody talking about how horrible it was. And I was like, wait, what? What? Why was it terrible? And so then I started reading um, different reports and articles about it. And I kind of, I guess I understand a little bit of what they're talking about. Um, oh, what, what the people who don't like it are talking who about? Who don't like it, yeah. So I, I guess maybe before we get into that part, what did you guys think about it just initially? Billy, you go ahead. I just watched it. Okay. Okay. Like, not very long ago. Well, then you can definitely tell um, us what you initially thought. <laughs> initially, like, I had no problems with it initially. And I knew it was controversial. And, like, I'd heard conversations about it but i'd never seen anything i guess watching it like i didn't see anything that was questionable to me yeah. like the quote at the end it's only by challenging ourselves to do more that we get closer to our best i'm like good enough mm -hmm. yeah uh, i think it's, I, don't know. I think it's great um so, let me throw out some numbers both of you yeah enlighten me on the controversy here so yeah. so the numbers of the video numbers behind the video this, this video came out uh, six days ago on, the, on the January 13th. It has 22 million views on YouTube. It has 607,000 likes. 
and it has over a million dislikes. Really? Yeah, which I I personally think is kind of mind-blowing. I think it's yeah. really bizarre that a million people disliked it. I know who the million people are. <laughs> yeah. um, I think if I went and found the GoFundMe for Donald Trump's wall, um, I think it's probably the same million people. Um, but... Uh, CJ, you, you said that you kind of you understood where people were coming from in their criticism. I, what, what do you share yeah. your thoughts? So I think I think it's very interesting. This is a very interesting study because the same commercial is viewed two entirely different ways based on your worldview. Right? That's where it's coming from. Like um so so I we I, I believe and I mean we all three of us believe in a biblical version of manhood and masculinity and what that would be. So, you know, protecting women, um, valuing women for who they are as, you know, to, to use biblical terms, a weaker vessel, but still an equal vessel, right? Like it's, they are, it's different. It's not. And I think that's the trap that a lot of people fall into is they think about men and women as better or worse. Um, and even to use the term equal is not actually accurate. I think different is the best term to use because we are wired differently. Certainly there are maybe some exceptions within men and women, but like that's an entirely different conversation. So because I kind of come from this, um, like, I guess, uh, more traditional old conservative view of like masculinity, um, I didn't really have a problem with that. I felt like that's actually a good thing to see that, Gillette is challenging men to be better and not the thing that our culture is now uh, kind of shouting that men are, you know, men are um, sexist or they, you know, they degrade women and um, they use women for their, yeah, they're predators. They just use women for their own gain or their own pleasure. Um, I certainly do see a pattern like that in a lot of, of our culture. Um, I don't like it. And so I, I agree. I agree with kind of Gillette's thing. Like, hey, guys, men, be men. Um, stand up for the things that are right. Stand up for justice um, and don't don't act this way. Be better. So I do. I appreciate that. When I, once I read the reports and the reviews of you know what was so bad about it, I, I, I say I understand. I, I understood why they were mad based on on that worldview um and it one of the articles that i read talked about how it was insulting to men um because it was basically um admitting that the whole me too movement was right they were basically admitting or they were stating that they agreed that all men are basically sexual predators um they're all jerks. They're all just out to use the world for themselves. And so then they were challenging to be better. I didn't see it as an attack on all men. I saw it as an attack on men who are like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, because there are examples of good men in the yeah, video. Yeah. And that, that's actually one of the things I wanted to talk about because yeah. I've been, that's been blowing up my Facebook page. People have been saying, Oh, so all men are, sexist and 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 abusive and i i had to say like i think people's biggest criticism with the video is due to the fact that they keep taking individual images from the video they keep looking at one thing and saying oh i don't like that because like like uh, one example and this was literally on my facebook page i'm not going to say who it was because i may or may not be related to them but (laughs) Um, they literally like said, Oh, so men can't have barbecues and stand with their arms crossed. Right. And the tone was like, is that to you bunch of snowflakes? Yeah. And then they kind of continued to say like, Oh, so all men are, are whatever. But that's the, that's not the point of the video. In the video, we see men stand up against that. We see men tell other men, Hey, stop catcalling that woman. Hey, Mm -hmm. leave her alone. Hey, it's not cool to be that way. Or even approaching those kids and saying, hey, break it up. That's not how we treat each other, which was right. an amazing line. I yeah, right. And, and, and people are no, backlashing saying, oh, kids aren't allowed to wrestle anymore. But like, that's not the point. The point mm-hmm. is that we can treat people 
to to treat each other differently right. and and that and, was um, yeah go ahead. well so that that those scenes that you're talking about there where you've got you have this long row of men standing by the girls with their arms crossed boys will be boys to to me and i think this is the purpose of the commercial that was a symbol of the stereotypical which it's a stereotype for reason, right? All stereotypes yeah, are right. the stereotypical suburb dad who works nine to five and is completely disengaged from the rest of, of his family. You know, that, that was the stereotype. You go home, you drink a beer, you cook the cook meat on the grill and you chat with your neighbor across the fence who's doing the exact same <laughs> thing. Right. Yeah. That I think it was a reference to that. And then like, yeah, I've seen people like boys wrestle and boys will be boys. And I'm like, okay, but the issue was they were not wrestling for fun. They were wrestling because they were having a conflict. Yeah. So that's not, and, and I, you know, I'm all for uh, <laughs> boys being boys, <laughs> quote, quote, you know, like, careful, I'm, careful. I'm all for to all boys. my Portland friends listening. <laughs> I just want to take a moment. <laughs> to what this Montanan guy was trying to say. I'm just about to say, I'm just about to clarify it. I'm going to clarify it. I, when I say boys will be boys, yes, boys, um, I, I think not that they should be. Well, OK, so I think boys should be allowed to live a different life than what girls should be allowed to live a different life. They are different. So if a boy wants to go and, you know, roughhouse and wrestle with his friends, I don't have a problem with that. However, I would not condone wrestling or fighting to resolve conflict unless it's like you know a last means right i think there should be something that's that's communicated there from this and that's a different conversation too it is a different conversation yeah it is yeah that we don't have there's no information in the commercial why they're fighting but no but the point is that that it's teaching kids that that physical violence is a resolution to conflict which it's not and the way that's yeah, yeah and the way that they and the way that he resolved that was, hey, guys, break it up. Look, that's not the way we talk to each other, right? I mean, that's yeah, that's that's a good thing. Yeah, that's a that's a, an important part of it. It's not he's saying that kids can't wrestle. It was actually a reference to conflict. It was a reference to all of these men standing here watching these kids fight each other, beat each other up, and they say, "Boys will be boys." They're completely disengaged, and so it's a challenge to be to say be engaged be engaged with what's going on with your kids help them understand help lead up the next generation and like you go through multiple things like that you're look who's watching you so i feel like i feel like people are really missing the point of the commercial totally and and i i think that they're trying um (laughs) i should i should clarify fox news hates this commercial yeah they hate it and 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 that's why I've probably been seeing so much of it on my Facebook feed because they do hate it. And I've been seeing as, so I've been seeing an equal amount of, of people who are for and against it because that's, mm-hmm. that's how my Facebook page is divided now. Um, there's just so many people who are for and, and against it. And I right. guess, I guess that's healthy. I guess it's good to be in a position where you still are confronted constantly with both sides of a conflict. Yeah. But I am tired of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, for this reason, I mean, I think that people are missing the point. And um, like I, the same person I referenced earlier who was talking about how, um, how like men can't stand by their grills and stuff. They also, I think they missed some huge points. They, they were saying that um, they, they were criticizing the Me Too movement saying it's just a safety in numbers mentality. And I think it's the like funniest, dumbest crap i've ever heard because that's the exact point of yeah. why that became a thing it's because people didn't feel safe until the culture made a turn where all of a sudden we were like no we will we will protect you if you if you will confront this abuse that happened in your past we will stand with you that's the point but they, right. they missed it i mean and it, it's people who it's people who i mean to to say it kind of bluntly is I think it's people who are putting their conservatism considerably ahead of their Christianity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and because I, I just, I feel like Christians should be at the forefront of making change happen in that way. I mean, we should be using Jesus's example 
who physically and in, 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 in his words and actions protected and valued women con- mm-hmm. constantly in his uh-huh. ministry. Um, but I feel like as Christians, we really ought to be leading, leading the charge. We should be saying, we should be the ones holding men accountable, um, right. which is a quote that they, they use Terry Crews quote in that, which is amazing because yeah. if you've seen that interview, um, Terry Crews, I, I don't know if you guys know this part of the story was, was sexually assaulted. And yeah. he's the, he's a 300 pound like m- muscle machine. And he was recently like within the last, in the last 10 years, sexually assaulted by a guy by a manager or an agent of his i forget who it was but someone who he trusted and who was Hmm. making these decisions for him in order for this guy to show terry that he was in charge of his life Hmm. and but instead of just letting it happen terry cruz this i mean we all know who terry cruz is we 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 immediately picture old spice but he's this loving thoughtful incredibly articulate incredibly funny and gracious guy who then immediately he, he's actually a huge advocate for the me too campaign because he right. was sexually assaulted and he's trying to tell people that it happens to men it happens to women and that he it can happen even to, to him and that the point is that he's not going to let it slide he's not going to let anyone get away with it right and I, I really loved and appreciated, I mean, not to pull individual images out of the video that I just criticized people for pulling individual images <clears> out of, but I think that his interview is an incredible backbone and, and representation of what that whole point was, um, the whole point that the video was trying to make. And it's, it's not to, um, I, I watched another video with the guy on CBS who was saying that the video is not so much an indictment of masculinity it's an invitation for men to be better. Right. But what I'm seeing on Facebook is people who are really offended by it. And I just, my question then is why are people offended by an invitation to be better? I think that's right. I think, but I think that's, I mean, that's with the biblical worldview, that question's pretty simple. Uh, I mean, people don't want to join a call to rise up to, if it condemns their current position or if it draws, you know, even just as a whole, even if it's not, because I don't look at that video and think, Oh, you know, I don't think about like me personally, but I think of like the culture that we have to be very careful not to fall into. And um, I mean, it's the same thing in the new Testament in, you know, the, the, the gospel is a stumbling block for the Jews. I came for the sinner, you know, the sick, not the healthy, the, the sinners, not the righteous. And that's is like condemning the current position. People don't want to, people don't want to join anything that puts them or rise up if, if they're being condemned for it. I, um, that is so the difference. Go ahead. No, I mean, I, that, that, that is absolutely true, but then the, the, the part of that, that that is very hurtful to me is that I'm seeing it shared by people who consider themselves Christians. That they, I'm, seeing, right. I'm seeing it criticized by people who call themselves Christians. And if, and yeah. if yeah. I understand that, that the gospel is a stumbling block to people who don't believe, but people who do believe ought to be doing better. And that's what's upsetting to me. If it was just, a, mm-hmm. if, it was, if it was people I didn't know and people who I didn't, people who didn't claim to agree with what I believe in, <laughs> yeah, then right. so be it. Then so be it. It's really easy to deal with those things where it's like, oh, those, that guy hates it, but that's okay. He and I don't share a worldview. It's right. when people, people yeah. on Facebook who, for all intents and purposes, do share my worldview, but they are in direct opposition to someone calling them out to be better than they are. Or to make teach their friends better than their friends are, right? And people are like, mm-hmm. "How dare a razor commercial tell me who to be?" And I'm like, "Man, if if yeah. a razor commercial is what it takes for you to realize that you're not right. everything you think you are, then we're then we're we're in rough shape." <laughs> right, right, yeah. exactly. Like, I mean, we should we should be welcoming every opportunity or every encouragement to be better. Um, so I think, I think the reason people don't like it is because it, it insinuates that you're already not good. 
So like exactly. you guys were saying, if you're, if, if you come from a Christian perspective where, yeah, I, I guess I don't believe that I'm naturally good. You know, I, I don't believe that I'm good. I believe that I am naturally bad. I'm naturally evil. So, um, yeah, I welcome that encouragement to be better, but yeah, it does come from your, your worldview. And so, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it what that requires of men as a response is to, I mean, first of all, consider it, and then, and then consider yourself, and then where right. necessary, apply it. You know, you have to look at the message and understand what they're trying to say, and then you have to look at yourself and see if that message is for you. Right. And and if you can look at yourself honestly, and say that this message telling people to rise up and, and to, to respect women, to stop talking over them in conference room meetings and to stop encouraging violence as a form of conflict resolution and et cetera, et cetera. If you can honestly look at yourself and say like, oh no, I don't do any of those things, then it's not for you. Right. But then your job, your job doesn't end there. Your job continues forward as saying, okay, how can I help keep my friends accountable? How can I, how can I become the guys who step in when someone else is being disrespectful? And, and that's the, that's, I think, I don't think the majority of men in America are sexual predators and, and abusive and, and disrespectful, etc. But mm-hmm. I do think the majority of men who aren't are also quiet. And mm-hmm. their silence isn't, is, isn't helpful, you know? Um, yeah. I think that, and that's one of the big things that I've, I'm seeing attached to this video and to the Me Too movement is that um, that we need to stop the men who aren't like this need to stop protecting men who are. Um, and I, I think that that's I think that might be the application. And I wish that it wasn't so eagerly dismissed by people who I think should be paying closer attention to the state of the world right now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, well, I, I think it's a good. I mean, it's a very fascinating from a lot of different angles. I, I thought well, it don't, was. Don't intellectualize it. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> the one, one thing I did think was very interesting about it. Um, oh, I think we just lost Bill. I think so um, too. I, he disappeared. One thing that one thing that I I thought was very interesting about it from a marketing standpoint is that a company like Gillette would would risk doing that. That's a, I mean, I, again, from my perspective, my honest perspective, I thought it was great. I actually really don't have a problem with it. Um, kind of because I, I, I would, um, I guess I would side more with like Terry Crews's mentality. Um, the Me Too movement, you know, I think there's probably some, some negatives to it but as far as um you know allowing sexual predators to exist and sexual harassment to exist yeah i don't i don't i don't agree with that i think we should eradicate it um i don't think it should be allowed um do i think some people have abused that possibly but again that that's probably every movement really so i i guess like as even um, we just watched a documentary recently, or uh, I think it was just an episode of a documentary series on Netflix about uh, women in the workplace. And some of the statistics are very interesting. It, again, come based on your, um, your worldview, some might seem wrong, some might not. Um, but I, I do think men and women should be viewed as different not equal, not lesser or more, but different. And I think that should speak for itself as far as what, what that allows for, what that, what that, what benefits or drawbacks that brings. So um, anyway, that's, there's a whole bunch of different discussions we could have. Yeah. That, but I, I, I did think it was a very interesting um, commercial, interesting thing that's happening in our world right now. So yeah, um, I, yeah I, I, I agree. Um, I, I think that you said earlier, I liked the, your use of the word eradicate um, this behavior. And I think that that's a great word and a great idea. But I think that the first step in that process is also the step that I wish I would see Christians um, more eager to participate in. And I think the first step in eradicating it 
is opening the conversation. And I think that too many Christians are shutting down things that they disagree with topically or, mm-hmm. or, or just emotionally or, as a, or just as a reaction. They're like, no, I don't want any part of that. And they're, by doing so, they're not allowing themselves to see life from someone else's perspective, to see the world from someone else's perspective. But they're definitely not allowing themselves to... To, they're not they're not allowing themselves to be held accountable um and i think that the first thing we need to do is open that conversation mm-hmm. um but i'm glad that we're doing that right now uh billy is billy is absent he's gone at the moment but we're adding him back in here in a, in oh, okay a minute. he'll be back yeah we he'll should, be back i figured we should wrap up soon as we're we're approaching but we're what are we at oh an hour <laughs> yeah so on since we're on the discussion of trend, you know, trending topics and trending things, things that are on our Facebook pages, um, has everybody seen that um, the new photo thing that's going around where you post a picture of yourself 10 years ago and then, and then now, and everybody goes, Oh my gosh, I've changed so much. Or they're like, yep, I'm ageless. And, and I'm Morgan Freeman. I don't look any different. Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen it. You and I've, really? You haven't seen it? I'm not on Facebook. Oh. I, it's on Instagram, too. Yeah, it's also there. That's, that's, I haven't seen I it on really Instagram. Instagram anymore. I only use Facebook when someone's like, have you seen this nonsense? Yeah. And then I go take a look at the nonsense. <laughs> go and then you back it out. It's like a, like a zoo. <laughs> it can't but be like a zoo. you have a password for it. Okay. Yeah, you don't want to go to the zoo every day, but you want to go to the zoo when there's something new there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but what were you going to uh, say? So, so there's a there's a there's a trend and you post a picture of yourself from 10 years ago, either like 2008 and 2018 or 2009, 2019 and celebrities are doing it and normal people are doing it and um I guess that kind of sums up everybody. The categories. But there's there's this interesting thing. I I haven't done it yet because I think it's kind of stupid. Um, but somebody, somebody um, took note of it and actually had an interesting thought here. So their theory is that it is basically just a marketing ploy that was created by companies who run facial recognition software to calibrate um, age their software so they can calibrate this is you 10 years ago and this is you now so they can kind of gauge that and and improve facial recognition and age calculations which i think is a little bit creepy i mean the the fact that somebody might be mining our information and they can just they're just using us they're just first of all i like you said somebody might be cj you're on facebook well, I mean, I know that they are taking that information, but I'm more specific. I mean, obviously, I don't really care because I am on Facebook, but that isn't always true I mean, for a lot of people. It is convenient to start some sort of marketing thing like that on Facebook because then, like, any company could just hack Facebook and take it whenever they want. <laughs> what do yeah. you mean hack? They Quote, could just ask hack. Mark nicely. <laughs> Well, apparently, I don't know. I mean, they'll text Mark. They'll text Mark Zuckerberg and be like, "Hey, bro, can I have some of that info?" And he'll be like, "Yeah, oops, got hacked." Oh no! Right. He'll just in exchange for twenty crickets, I... Snake King will release private data. It's Lizard King, isn't it? Well, the snake is in charge of the lizards. Snake. Okay. This snake. Anyway, I think that, that personally, personally, I think that that's really kind of freaky. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of it, it's it's genius, but and it doesn't personally affect me because I don't even have a picture on my computer of me from ten years ago. I had them all burned. Um, <laughs> but I just think it's really creepy that someone would have that thought. Was like, you know, if we started this trend, we could get all the data we needed. Mm-hmm. So here's that's, the other. Um, here's an interesting. interesting. Here, the, in, in this article. Um, they're t- she's talking. Let's see. The author is. Hold on. Let me go back here. Um, Katie O'Neill. Um, and so she's talking about um, one of the one of the 
uh, rebuttals that she got was basically, you know, Facebook already has your information. They already have pictures of you or these others. So, so therefore, these other companies have access to it. You know, why would they need that? But why? So and the, like her point was, well, why would a company spend so much time sorting through all this information? I mean, billions and billions and billions of pictures. Why would they sort through all this information to just say, oh, yeah, that was from 2008 and this one's from 2018? Um, when they could just create some sort of a fad and you would do that for them. But the other interesting thing is some people are not consistent about uploading pictures of themselves. Some people don't have a picture on Facebook of them 10 years ago. So they may scan and upload, um, you know, a, a hard copy photo, or they may just find an old photo somewhere in their computer and upload it. So then there could potentially be new photos uploaded that were not previously uploaded. True. Cause there is... aren't probably that many people who've been on Facebook for 10 years. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, I mean, there, I mean, as far as the numbers go, there are, but I bet the proportionately, I bet there's significantly more people have been on less than 10 years probably. that have been on for more than 10 years. Yeah. I mean, probably. I haven't had Facebook for 10 years. I think I, I mean and most anyone my age wouldn't have had it for 10 years they would have been yeah. 11 yeah, oh no I gave true. away my age oh you gave away your age oh, ah no. anonymity ruined oh no crap it's okay I'm, you're doomed the only people listening to this podcast are mom and Kenny hey Kenny hey Kenny hey mom okay here's what I don't know about theory here's the thing and they... oh he's gone <laughs> <laughs> and with that and we'll leave that. you, and we'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in with next more, week to hear why Billy's Billy doesn't thoughts. agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll just end there. We'll just, yeah. Thanks for we'll listening. Be... <laughs> well, this has been Free Range Waffles, Episode 3. <laughs>